Happy days, everyone. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I'm Michelle, and today we're going to be talking because talking is what we do on this podcast. Sometimes I share stories, sometimes I give you some life lessons, sometimes it's a story and a life lesson, which is what today is going to be. Now, I have to apologize in advance. It's an incredibly windy day here, and sometimes it gets a little loud and you can hear some whistling. And since I really have very little patience to sound edit these podcasts, because the point was that they're kind of raw and unedited, you may occasionally hear some whistling, which is usually the wind, but I'm inside and I'm safe and I'm warm and that's a really good place to be. So today I wanted to tell you a little bit about my sister and a experience that I had with her and a story about how that led kind of in a weird way to this podcast. So a couple of people have asked me, do I script this podcast or do I just do it off the fly? And the answer is it's actually a mixture of both of those. Several years ago, I started writing a book all about just what I thought about stuff, really. Not dissimilar to what this podcast is, just what I think about stuff. And I used to sit down and write, you know, this is what I think. Just just about anything or a story or somebody I had run into or an experience. I am a chronic overthinker, overreader, overabsorber of information, and I needed somewhere to put it. So I started writing it down. But the original impetus for that came from this story with my sister and how that relates to the podcast is that writing all that stuff down and trying to do it as a book became quite frustrating and quite sort of tedious because I couldn't find a thread for that book. Something I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast is that I don't have a platform on which to stand on. You know, I don't have, I'm not about a specific thing. It's just stuff. And it felt like, how do you write a book that's just about stuff, which with no like official place to I don't know. It was, it just became really frustrating. And to be honest, I got in my own way. There was nobody to say, you can't just write a book about stuff. I think there's plenty out there really, but I simply got to a place where I was like, what is the point of this book? I'm never going to get to a place where I can figure out what it's about. Nobody's ever going to read it. This is a pointless exercise, you know, whatever. Needless to say, I was my own biggest barrier to getting that thing out the door. So when I started to create this podcast, I was like, oh, I should, I should open up that book that I started writing because there's probably some really great lessons in there. And in fact, there are. So some of the things I talk about, some of the episodes are based on things I wrote about there, as is the case today. So there are kind of I want to say like not half formed, but not terribly well formed (laughs) notes about things that I want to talk about. And other times episodes are about stuff that I have in my head. And so I'll sit down a couple of minutes before I hit the record button and I'll just scratch out some bullet points and I'll literally just talk off the cuff. So it really depends on the episode. None of them are officially scripted though. Like I, I don't actually read like line by line and then I'm going to say this it just doesn't work that way and even if I do have the notes in front of me from the book I tend to veer off course a little bit which would be no surprise to people who listen to me in real life where I tell one story and it ends up being 67 other stories along the way before I get to the point of the first one So this one is one of the earliest ones I ever wrote down in that book, and I wanted to share it with you today with the appropriate amount of sidelines. So that the idea for that book and the the, subsequently the idea from this podcast came um, many, many, many years ago when my sister and I were sitting in a cafe in a beautiful town outside of Melbourne. It's one of my favorite uh, places in Melbourne. 
on Mountain, you know, and my sister had come to visit me with her whole family. And we had a very, very rare opportunity to spend some one-on-one time together. My sister has three kids and I have three kids and we come from a very loud, very loving, but slightly suffocating family. So it's very rare for she and I to get time by ourselves. And we've gotten a little bit better at that through the years, I will say. But it can often be really hard. We, we are the kind of family that like everybody's just up in your face kind of all the time. And we all want to be together all the time and hang out together all the time. And privacy is like not a thing for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's not unusual to be like, oh, I'm, I'm going out today. Where are you going? Who are you going with? Why are you going? What are you doing? Can I come? Like, <laughs> that's kind of how my family is, which I have to say, I, mo- I mostly love, but occasionally I, I rail against that, that suffocation a little bit. And I should say that my sister and I uh, did not grow up terribly close. She's seven years older than I am, which when you're in a loving relationship, not a big deal, but among siblings is a fairly big gap. And these days we live across the world from each other and we have for over half of my life now. So my sister lives in the United States and I live here in Australia. And I guess even more importantly than, than those facts is that she is your classic oldest child and oldest child of immigrants, I should say. She's a fixer. She's an achiever. She's the responsible one. She sort of feels like she has to follow the rules. And um, she probably had a lot more rules, to be honest, than I did growing up. She's just very much the carer and, and the responsible older child, classic older child kind of thing, right? And I guess in that regard, I'm the classic middle child. So while I certainly achieve and I'm responsible as well, I tend to be much more of a rebel and much more of a free spirit. And as kids, we just didn't really see eye to eye, but not, not out of personality, but more because, because of that big age gap, I was kind of the annoying younger sister who really wanted her attention. And she was busy with stuff like, you know, friends and boyfriends and high school and whatever. And, you know, I was just like a bit of a pest, to be honest her husband who was her boyfriend when she was a teenager like still jokes like okay go away michelle like (laughs) like he will still say that to me because i think they spent a lot of time wanting me to like go away while they were making out or something i don't you know i don't want to think about that that's like I, i can't think about that anyway so it was just a case of she was older and had her own life and i was this kind of rebel pain in the butt kid you know and and so it's not that we didn't get along or didn't like each other we just were from different eras sort of you know our parents also owned their own business and our mom was ill for quite a long time in our childhood so from a young age she really got saddled with a lot of responsibility and she spent a lot of time looking after me and certainly the rest of us and you know because she could drive and that sort of stuff she really was a responsible kind of second or I guess third really a parenting figure for all for us and you know it wasn't necessarily not necessarily easy on her to always have to be responsible and I guess to this case to this day that's still true because she's the only sibling that lives uh, near my mom and so she still takes on that role of of responsibility and care which is very amazing. And I'm actually internally grateful for that. So, 
you know, my parents expected that she had her act together, like far more than they expected me to have my act together. You know, she, she used to say rightly that my parents made her follow a bunch of rules that I didn't have to. And that, well, that was not a hundred percent true. It's certainly true. Like all parents, I think the first child, we make them follow all these rules and every subsequent one, it's like less rules and less rules and less rules, you know? Now, as adults, we, we mostly got along better because once I got married and I had kids, we had a lot more things that we could relate about. But even then, it wasn't always easy. I think my sister was kind of shocked that I got married and had kids. I think, well, for, that's for two reasons. One, I don't think she ever thought I was responsible enough. And two, I sort of from a young age was like, I'm never going to get married. I'm just going to be this cool auntie who does cool stuff all day and like lives in a commune or something. And yeah, well, that my, my whole family thinks that I'm this like raging hippie. And the truth is I am a bit of a hippie, but not quite as much as they think. Like, yes, I was a vegetarian. And yes, I um, wore Birkenstocks and still do, in fact. And yes, I believe in saving the environment and all that. But not quite as hippie as they think. In any case, there I go, like off on a tangent. So we, we get along a lot better as adults because we have more things that we can relate about. Not only am I like not a hippie as much as she thinks, but then, yeah, I got married and had kids. So we sort of had similar life experiences that we could relate to each other on. But th- that being said, we don't always kind of see eye to eye on things, including and maybe especially parenting. And my favorite story about my sister and I is that, or uh, my sister and I in parenting, I should say, is when the triplets were very young, So young enough that I still fed them in a high chair and basically I fed them mush, you know, like mashed potatoes or whatever. So what is that? Like under a year old, I guess. We lived in a really tiny, tiny house and we used to, I used to feed my kids in the hallway, which sounds a little bit funny, except it was the only place where we had enough room that three high chairs could open up. And so at mealtime, I'd open up three high chairs kind of in like a semicircle in our hallway and then I would sit in the middle of the semicircle and then once everybody got fed and I would take them out of their high chairs, I'd have to fold the high chairs up and put them away again. Otherwise we couldn't walk through the hallway. So one day my sister called me and I was feeding the kids and I was feeding them and having a conversation with her. And she was sort of saying like, Hey, what are you doing? I can hear the kids in the background. What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, it's lunchtime. So I'm feeding the kids. And she goes like, wow, that must be like so hard to juggle like three kids and three plates and three spoons. And you're trying to talk to me. Like, I'll just call you back. And I was like, Oh no, 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 it's fine. You can totally talk to me. I don't, I don't bother with three plates and three spoons. I'm, I said, it's literally like one plate, one spoon and three mouths. So I just, take a little bit and feed kid A and then kid B and then kid C and then repeat. So I'm not juggling three spoons and three plates. And she went, you feed all your kids from the same plate and the same spoon. That is disgusting. And I'm like, well, hello. They are together 24 seven sharing spit and God knows what all day. What's I don't, what's the big thing. And she kind of went off on a little tirade for a couple of minutes there about how it was unhygienic and like that was so gross and what if one kid didn't like carrots and and she just like went off at me about the fact that she couldn't believe that I was not feeding my triplets from three different plates and three different spoons. By the way, I don't even know logistically how you, that would just take a hundred years, but anyway. So I listened to my sister kind of rave at me about how irresponsible I was and how this was disgusting and I was probably giving my kids like cholera or something by doing this. And I patiently waited for her to finish carrying on. And when she was done, I kind of thought about it for a minute. And I said, 
Um, okay, cool. Um, then could you tell me, how did you do it with your triplets? And there was sort of like dead silence on the phone. And she goes, well, I don't have triplets. And I said, okay, exactly. So when you do and you come up with a better way to feed them, you let me know, okay? And then I just carried on with the conversation. So why that's like a perfectly good example is I do things often with my kids for, you know, everyone's general happiness, but efficiency counts. And I don't worry too much about things like germs. Whereas, you know, there she was kind of telling me off about a situation she had never lived or experienced. And it was because I was being gross by feeding them all from one spoon. Yeah, it, it was just it was just one of those things, right? I was the responsible younger sister who wouldn't know how to raise kids if she tried. And she'd already raised all of her kids. And yeah, it was just one of those things. So I love that story for a couple of reasons. One, because it's like the one time in my life I had a good comeback. Do you know how often I leave a conversation and the comeback comes later? So annoying, right? Anyway, and I also love that story because it's a really good example of how she was well-meaning, right? She wasn't trying to tell me I was a terrible mother or anything, but it's an example of how different we are, A, in how we handled it, and B, in how our, our reaction to that was. But we do get along better these days. And generally speaking, I am far more liberal than she is politically, economically, sexually, environmentally, everything you can think of, I am like pretty far left of things or, or accepting of things, whereas she's really not that way. So it's fair to say that my thoughts on things don't really align with hers. I often joke that one of her favorite expressions is, don't you think it's weird that, and then she inserts something. And my answer is like 99.99% of the time. Actually, no, I don't think that's weird. <laughs> I'm making her out to seem like super ultra conservative and boring, but she's not. She's a really lovely person, an incredibly talented educator and an amazing mom. Uh, but we just, you know, we're different, right? I'm just more of a free spirit th than she is. So our thoughts don't really align. I think somewhere in her mind, I'm still that like dumb kid who does some crazy brave stuff while she is stuck being responsible and taking care of things. And I'm not going to lie to a degree. She's probably still right about that. I'm a little bit more adult than she thinks. And I think she could loosen the reins of responsibility a little bit, but it's not entirely wrong. So in case you're listening to this, uh, I, I get it. <laughs> we really are a little bit like that to say. So back to that lunch in the mountains. Needless to say, I wasn't as excited about this lunch as I probably should have been. And, and again, it's not that we didn't go along. It's just that we think differently. And until then, we had never really had a close sisterly relationship. I don't generally go to her for advice about things. I don't think she goes to me for advice about things. We have a very good relationship and I'm always happy to see her. And I do miss her, especially now very much. But, you know, like she's not huggy and I'm huggy. And so we're just different, right? So this felt a little awkward, but I was determined to make this lunch work. Cause like I said, it's a rare occurrence. So we find ourselves sitting in this lovely cafe and she starts to tell me how things in her life are kind of rough. Her kids, you know, jobs, handling my parents, whatever. My sister really does have some very challenging things in her life. And normally I would be chattering away like 10 to the dozen, you know, it's not so bad, it's going to be okay, whatever. But in this case, I decided to sit and listen to her, which is a rare one for me because I'm a chronic talker and chronic interrupter. 
But as I sat there and I listened to her talking, I found myself thinking, just kind of listening to this endless litany of, of, of I don't want to call it complaints, but I'm just going to say venting about how terrible and hard things were for her. I found myself thinking, like, wait a second here. Where is the good stuff in this? Where is the thing which makes you, or in this case her, like personally happy? Like, where is the stuff that you do for you? Like, is there nothing in your life which makes you happy? And so when she finished or took a break, I asked her that very question. Like, is there nothing in your life which brings you a bit of joy? And she looked at me kind of blankly. And, you know, her firstborn nature is so much about caring for others doing for others, making sure everyone else is under control, that I think in some ways she'd forgotten entirely that she was a person too, and that who she is and the happiness she felt was not just about getting other people to fall into line. And I think the challenges of the the kids, the job, the parents, the whatever, were so great that she just stop looking for the good stuff and was focusing entirely on what was hard and challenging. And it's not that those things aren't hard and challenging, but I was sort of questioning this going like, this can't be the whole story. Your whole life cannot be crap. Like surely there's something in this that's that's good. So she eventually kind of responded by telling me that there really wasn't anything in her life which made her happy or what brought her joy. She was feeling really crushed under the weight of all this responsibility. And I remember like looking at her and being like, seriously, you can't find anything that makes you happy? You can't find a single thing in your entire life which makes you feel good? Nothing at all, like literally nothing, nothing that's just for you. And the next thing out of my mouth was, I can't believe you can't even find a tiny little sesame seed of something that makes you happy. Now, why sesame seeds are important in our lives is because my sister and I grew up on a steady bagel of bagel, a steady diet of bagels. And the, everybody knows that the best bagels in the world are sesame seeds. And they're my family's favorite including my sister and I. So sesame seeds are a big part of our lives. So I don't know why that dropped out of my mouth just then, but it was a very relatable thing because we're very familiar with sesame seeds and they're very, very tiny, which is kind of the point. So I was like, I can't believe you can't find a tiny sesame seed of something that makes you happy. And so in fairly typical Michelle slash middle sister fashion, I then proceeded to (laughs) totally tell her off Seriously, I just lost my shit at her about this. I couldn't believe that she had given over so much of who she is and so much of her happiness to other people. Now, it's not that I'm a selfish cow here, right? And that it's all about me. But it's that I've always understood the importance of being a person outside of who I am as a mother or outside of who I am as a sister or a daughter or a friend. I've never defined myself and who I am by any one of those titles. So I've understood that while I need to be responsible for all kinds of things and to all sorts of people and I need to take care of stuff and, you know, my life is not just about me, I'm also entitled to have a life, which at least a sesame seed worth is kind of about me and my happiness. And my sister might have understood that too, but I think a lifetime of looking after other people kind of meant that she let her own joy get as small as, well, a sesame seed. In fact, so small she could no longer see that sesame seed anymore. 
and after I kind of carried on at her and oh, believe me, man, I like carried on for ages. I remember there was a lot of arm waving because when I get <laughs> and fast talking, when I get particularly passionate or upset or emotive about something, both happy and sad, I talk really fast and I wave my arms around a lot like so much so I'm practically like a windmill like attach me to something and I could provide power for like a small village so I'm carrying on arms waving talking super fast being like I can't believe this bloody baba I basically (laughs) after all my carrying on I finally just demanded that she find her freaking sesame seed and I got that expression stuck in my head which I think if you (laughs) If you've been eavesdropping on us, you've been like, what? Why is this woman like shouting at her sister to like, find your freaking sesame seed? I can't believe you don't have a sesame seed, right? I'm also repetitive in case you haven't worked that out yet. So there I am like, you know, carrying on and saying to her that, you know, you need to find it. How can you not have one? Whatever. It, It just was astounding to me that somewhere inside of her, she didn't have a spark of anything which would make her happy or bring her joy. And at the same time, it actually also filled me with great sadness because I think often when we look at other people's lives, it's easy to feel like they've got an entire jar worth of sesame seeds while we have got none or few. You know, other people have families which seem to be perfect or homes which are always kept clean or beautiful or bodies or or faces or features that we think are envy worthy or relationships that are super loving. And yet, when we look at our own lives, I think many people, not dissimilar to my sister, would struggle to find their sesame seed. It's really easy to look at everyone else's life and think like, well, they've got this and this and I haven't. Or it's easy for her to say she's got this or easy for him to say he's got that. And so I don't think her experience is necessarily unusual, But I also think it's incredibly sad that rather than look at what we have or the sesame seeds we can find, we look at other people's and think they must have so many was, you know, they've got a whole bagel worth where we haven't even got one kind of at the bottom of the crumpled bag, you know? And I guess another reason it made me sad is because I can't bear the idea of living my life without any joy at all. You know, I mean, hello, I invented an entire life concept around this idea. The whole, you know, lifetime of awesome thing is about finding joy and being joyous and and having something to be happy about. Doesn't even need to be big things. You know, me, I want my life of awesome to be filled with color, with reasons to be glad to be alive. And sometimes they're only as big as a sesame seed, but they're definitely there and they're certainly there every day. Now, you know, in hindsight, I recognize now and I understand a lot more about mental illness now than I used to. I've been educated a lot more about that in the intervening years since that conversation. And my sister does not have any um, mental illnesses. But I've, I've learned now that my view of like how terrible for people who can't find a sesame seed and like, you know, they're just not trying hard enough. Like I've, I've learned that that's a bit of rubbish, to be honest. And I've come to understand that an inability to find a sesame seed of joy in your life is often a hallmark of depression or even anxiety or whatever. But back then, it was really just hard for me to believe that you could look at your own life and not find anything, not one tiny thing which makes you happy. So I understand now that there are very much medical and um, emotional reasons for that that are very valid and true but at the time I was like 
what do you mean you can't find something to be happy about? And I was kind of indignant about it. And I'm a little bit, um, I was going to say shame. That's not the right word. But I'm, I, let's just say, put it the other way. Let's just say I'm glad now that I've learned a little bit more about those conditions. And I've learned that for some people, finding that sesame seed is really hard. So that's my little disclaimer slash side note. I've learned that finding that sesame seed is often for some people the most difficult part of their day. But assuming for a moment that you don't have that clinical issue, um, but, but you're having a hard time finding something to be happy about, or like, you know what, let's not even say you're finding something hard, you're finding it hard to find something to be happy about. Let's just say you're finding it hard to find something to smile about, right? I thought that I'd offer you one really quick and easy way to try and find a sesame seed of your own. Now, look, some of us have really, really dark days, myself included, where this just seems like an impossible task. So if you are having one of those sad and, and terrible days or weeks, I want you to think about this sesame seed concept. And I'm going to tell, tell you how I find one when I'm having a day when it's hard to find one. So if you cannot find anything about your life to smile about and you just feel like, you know, things are really tough, you're under a pile of responsibilities or just things are really, really shit, which sometimes they are just genuinely shit, I still think you can find a sesame seed. It's a tiny spark in the darkness, but I think you can find one. So my suggestion would be that you start by taking a good look at what is physically around you, like literally what is around you. And as you look around you, see if you can spot something which brings you a little bit of joy. Is it your coffee cup filled with your favorite brew? Is it a family photo of your kids on your desk or your dog kind of snoring at your feet? You know, all around us are physical signs of things that we're happy about. It's just that when we look at those things like day in and day out, we just stop noticing them. I'm recording this podcast in my home office and without turning my head at all, now bear in mind, I'm facing a, a laptop and a big microphone, but without turning my head at all, I can see a garland, which is made out of um, gold, uh, I guess you'd call it bunting actually, gold sparkly triangles that were given to me, as well as a set of two sets of light up disco lights that were given to me by my partner. Clearly he knows me exceptionally well. There's a plant in my office that I just started growing because thanks to the pandemic, I've become a crazy plant lady. There's photographs of my children, photographs of my partner and I. There's a sparkly rainbow jeweled mirror that I bought myself when I went through this stage of feng shui. <laughs> I told you I've had all kinds of hobbies, right? There's a painting from a Melbourne street artist that I bought for myself. And there is a amazing mug from one of my students which says in it you're magic own that shit <laughs> i have not turned my head a quarter of an inch in any direction and every single one of those things are a reason for joy neither you know none of them are terribly big but they're all things that are for me daily sesame seeds right so i think if you just start by physically looking around you and find something however small that brings you joy and i, I don't care if that thing seems stupid because the point is just to find it because my thinking on this is if you have to find if you have to find something that makes you happy or makes you smile then you suddenly open your mind to all the other stuff around you that that's right there in front of you whereas 10 minutes ago at the start of this podcast there was nothing you're just feeling bleak and like there's nothing to be happy about. Whereas if we look around us, we can find physical manifestations of sesame seeds all the time. You don't have to feel 
you know, extreme joy, but just something that makes you happy or makes you smile. It, it doesn't need to be huge, right? It can be really simple as, you know, on this really cold day, I'm really grateful that I have warm socks to keep my feet warm. And that makes me happy because I hate having cold feet. And while no, like warm, fuzzy socks themselves are not exactly a sesame seed, it's a start. You know, realizing that you have warm feet on a cold day means that for right now, there's at least something in your life which doesn't suck. And trust me, having cold, wet feet sucks. I know. I walk in the cold a lot and I come home and I feel like my toes are going to fall off, right? So maybe for today, the only sesame seed I have is that I have warm feet. But that's okay. Maybe tomorrow, my sesame seed is going to be not only do I have warm feet, but I can afford these socks or somebody, you know, knitted these socks for me or somebody gave me these socks or whatever, you know. Maybe after that, it's I'm so smiley about the fact that I have a job which helps me afford these socks, right? And in a way, it's kind of related to the gratitude thing, but I don't even need you to go that far. I don't even need you to feel grateful for that, so that pair of socks or that job or whatever it is. I just want you to find a sesame seed of something that kind of makes you smile. Also, just notice out of the corner of my eye, there is also on my desk um, a calculator, which is bright pink and covered in like fake bright pink diamantes, which was a gift from my business partner. And looking at that makes me smile (laughs) in a thousand ways because A, it's just a freaking cool calculator and B, it was given to me by somebody who loves me and C, I actually use a calculator quite a lot and D, the fact that they were thinking of me means that I've had an impact on somebody else's life. So can you kind of see how finding a physical manifestation of a sesame seed makes that sesame seed grow? And then you have more than one, and then you have more than two, and then you have more than six, and more than 12, and more than 87, and more than 105. And you start to look for sources of joy, or sources of happiness, or sources of smiling in your life. You know, we just need one reason to smile. We're sitting there at that cafe with my sister, you know, she was telling me that she can't find any reasons to smile. It all just sucked all the time. But I really am steadfast in my refusal to believe that everything sucks 100% all the time. It just doesn't. Finding reasons to be happy to be alive, actually, are what having a sesame seed finding mission is all about, really. And the big obvious one here is to recognize that simply being alive is actually probably the biggest sesame seed of all, especially now when we're living through such a challenging time. Every day that you get given the opportunity to live is another day that you get to try again, to find a reason to smile, to find some joy, spread some awesomeness. And just give this whole life thing another shot, you know? And eventually be like me, who I intend to throw sesame seeds around, kind of like confetti, only more environmentally responsible because then the birds eat them. Wait a minute. Are, are like sesame seeds good for birds? I feel like when I've seen um, bird feeding things, they have sesame seeds. So let's go with that. Let's throw, let's throw some sesame seeds around like confetti. But if you're waking up every single morning and thinking like, oh no, here we go again, another day living in shit town where I have 10,000 responsibilities and everything sucks, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to think of just simply being alive as a source of a sesame seed, but it really is. And if you can't, don't start that big. Start with the little tiny things which make this life of yours that little bit nicer and give you a reason to smile. Because once you notice the small things, then you can work towards the bigger things. And if you're really feeling challenged, see if you can find one before you even get out of bed in the morning. 
And you'll suddenly notice that your life is very full of sesame seeds, which if you were my mom, who is a neat freak, you'd need to take out a dustpan and broom immediately. But I think let them, let them, let them float around your life. It's kind of not a bad thing. Now I should say that I am very aware that I'm able to say this and I'm able to encourage you to do this, to find that sesame seed of smile or happiness um, from entirely a place of privilege. So I'm very aware that I don't have a mental illness, that I'm surrounded by people who I love and who love me. And on the whole, my life and even just my desk have lots and lots of good things in it and lots of reasons to be happy. But I can also tell you that this was not always that way for me. And it was certainly not always that easy for me. Much like my sister, my worldview was a negative one. And you can add in the added joy of sarcasm to that too, in that I was just a massively negative, sarcastic person. I wouldn't exactly go so far as to say I was a glass half empty person, but I wasn't exactly happy about having anything in the glass at all. Who gave me this drink? I didn't want this drink. How come I've got this drink? Why is this here? Seriously, I don't recall asking for a drink. I wanted a snack. I just was a very, uh, like I hesitate to say negative, but I will say outspoken, say it like it is, call a spade a dirty shovel kind of person. And that wasn't doing me too many favors. I'm still that person, but I come at it from a different angle. So I know what it's like to live a life of negative energy and general kind of low grade suckiness. I know what that's like. And it's not fun. And I was not dissimilar to my sister, but for a much, much longer time in that. And all of that changed for me in a huge way after losing my dad, which is a story for an entirely other day. But today, I just want to say, I know what it's like to live a life where you think everything sucks all the time or most things suck all the time. But I also know what it's like to live a life when even if things suck, you look around and you find that little sesame seed. And like I said, I find it really easy if I start with visual things because hopefully we're surrounding ourselves with things for a reason, you know, and those things are things that, that make us at least smile a little bit or think of the people who make us smile a little bit. And I'm not encouraging you to have a Marie Kondo moment. You don't have to like, not everything has to spark joy or whatever. I should read that book. Anyway, I'm not saying you need to surround yourself with things that spark joy, otherwise like chuck them. And so then you're left with like a bamboo toothbrush and like one t-shirt. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that even in our lowest of moments, we can look around ourselves and find something which makes us smile just that little bit. And you hope that, you know, smiles and joy are catching. And when you start with one, then you keep going and you carry on and you find other reasons to be happy and smile, really. And I also understand that some days it can be really, really hard. So the visual of that sesame seed, because sesame seeds are very tiny, so tiny they get stuck in your teeth, finding only a sesame seed as opposed to finding some big, huge reason to be happy, I think is a lot easier. It's a lot simpler and it's just a good place to start. Start small, you know? It's kind of like when I decided that I wanted to meditate, which is, again, a story I will tell you all for another day. I had to start with a one-minute meditation, <laughs> which, by the way, I almost always failed at because I couldn't, I couldn't manage. Like My big plan was I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes a day. Yeah, great plan, Michelle. You couldn't even manage a minute, but I started with a minute. So it was like the sesame seed equivalent of meditation, one minute a day. So today, I just want to encourage you to find your sesame seed. And it's, remember that it's small on purpose, right? 
And I wanted to give you a little bit of a footnote to my, my, my gorgeous and amazing sister. So to this day, um, like I said, our relationship is really good and we get along fine, although we do definitely have differing opinions and views on lots of things. In the main, she is still very amazing and I admire her for so many things and we get along just fine. But to this day, she will use the expression, find my sesame seed. And more often than not, she uses that expression to tell me that she can't find one. You know, Michelle, things are really tough and I'm struggling to find my sesame seed. And I have to tell you that one of the great joys of my life is that she still tries to find it and that she still remembers that expression and that she still uses it and she still calls me and thinks about it. But I have learned in those conversations when she calls me and says, you know, I'm really struggling to find my sesame seed. I've learned in those moments that the right thing to do here is not to start my rant again, my rant of disbelief and it's my job is not to try to help her find one. Whereas I think before I would, I would normally be like, but what about this? But what about that? But what about the other thing? You know, I've, I've really learned now that that's not what she needs me to do in that moment. The right thing to do in that moment when she cannot find her sesame seed is to stop is for me to stop talking, start listening and instead hope that she figures out that having a sister that you can call and vent to is in and of itself a sesame seed. And on that note, may we be happy, may we be healthy, may we be safe, and may we all be at peace, however you find it.